I welcome back for another Eastern Target Archery podcast. We've got a fairly full schedule today. We're going to be talking to Linda Ochoa Anderson, the professional archer from the United States, who was participating in this past weekend's World Indoor Series Team Finals. We'll talk to her about tournament prep and the pressure of coming back to competition. We'll also have a chat with Brittany and Bruce from the NFAA to talk about the Vegas virtual shoot and some other events coming up. And we're going to have a long chat with Thomas Aubert of the World Archery Federation on the lessons learned in putting on a World Indoor Series. It's all ahead on the podcast. And our special guest for this portion of the Eastern Target Archery podcast is Mr. Thomas Aubert, the head of events and marketing for World Archery. Thomas, thanks for joining us from uh, you're back in Switzerland, huh? Yeah, thank you, George. Uh, thank you for having me. And yeah, I'm back in Switzerland since a couple of days. After a, after a bit of adventure, you were in Mexico. And uh, tell us a, bit, a little bit about your trip to Mexico, what you saw there. Well, it, w- it was actually interesting because I was staying at the basically the, the city that will host the next uh, um, Pan American Championship uh, next next March, next month. And yeah, it was it was a crazy moment because we saw temperatures going below zero there, which was quite unusual. So yeah, it was uh, it was a bit of a chaos. But I mean, most of the time when it was freezing, I was uh, locked in on the working on the Indoor World Series, so it didn't affect me too much. Yeah, most of the Americans listening to our podcast know that Texas went through a real serious cold snap, but it also reached down into where you were in Mexico. So you were yeah. part of that part of that same weather phenomenon yeah basically because the Monterey is like three or four hours driving from Texas border so yeah it, it was yeah. it was close enough <laughs> so that uh, that Pan-American event is an important one on the calendar because it will provide some countries opportunity for uh, some Olympic slots if I'm not mistaken yeah that's correct for the for the Americans uh, for the for the old continent of Americas yeah with the exception of the United States of America, because any country that already has slots from previous events can't earn them at this continental event. That's correct. Yeah, but also the para uh, will will have some opportunities at uh, at uh, similar event. Yeah, it's it's actually a dual championship. It's para Pan American and para Pan Americans championship. All and combined. Yeah, all combined, and it has both qualifiers, continental qualifiers for the Olympics. The only thing that had to change with that event, uh, because they were uh, facing a report of the event, is that we had to move some categories that were also categories considered as at risk uh, out of the event, like uh, juniors and masters, and that will be uh, shooting that championship uh, in Medellin la- later this year. Okay, so yeah, this event typically is a uh, a real all inclusive event. It has so many different categories in compound and in recurve, and um, masters, uh, cadets, juniors, um, everything. So uh, that you know, just like everything else, uh, is going to have some changes. And uh, it all that information for people participating and uh, for the member associations has already been disseminated. But for those of you interested. You can find details on the calendar at the worldarchery.sport website. Jumping ahead or back, I should say, um, the Indoor World Series this year, an unprecedented event. So many participants, 
and so much work for a relatively small number of people at the WA office and around the world to, to get the results. But you had many stages starting back in October, um, and the result was just announced last week. Uh, for example, Ojin Hyuk, the winner of the men's recurve overall. Tell us a little bit about what happens behind the scenes trying to make an event like that, because you know, honestly, it's never been tried before from the scale and the level of participation. Maybe recap for us um, the number of participants and what you had to do technically to make it work. So yeah, and the, the global number of participants was about 7,000 uh, when you remove all people that had disqualifications or that shot only that that didn't have a score counting at the end or or just registered but not shoot so that's why the numbers are a bit different from what we advertise at the beginning of the weekend and the number of results you see because there's a lot of uh, people that are just registering and by the time they're registering to the moment they have to shoot condition are changing and they cannot shoot anymore so we have lost a little bit of a little bit of people with that um yeah it was it was a uh, very interesting experience, uh, somewhat tiring as well, because oh, yeah. uh, we were not expecting what we were diving into. And, uh, and when we had first that ID coming around in the office, uh, we had pictured something and the reality of it was completely different. I mean, we had a slow start uh, in November and luckily it was a slow start because we had only roughly 2000 people to manage. And it was already uh, very complicated. We had to put in emergency new structures uh, inside the office, new systems to help us manage all the contact, all the direct contact uh, with the individuals that were participating to offer the best possible service. Uh, and that took a lot of time. And luckily we reacted quite fast with that because then it would have been impossible to manage the 5,000 athletes we had registered for the for the other stages. So it was, uh, in terms of how we reach people, how we communicate with people, it, it makes us uh, thought about what we were providing as a service. And it was, uh, it was a good experience for that. Also make us realize that, for instance, what we have and what we publish as war lottery as rules are indications are information is not necessarily what people are understanding or uh, what people were expecting so there's a bit i think of work uh, to do on our side as well to make us more um, reachable i would say or that people would get better in touch with what we do because the great advantage of that event is that we reach people that are shooting a bow and an arrow and probably not even know too much about what's an international event. Uh, they compete locally. They are a member of, their, of the National Federation, but they're not used to what's happening internationally. And that's where we had uh, most trouble dealing with with those kind of athletes is that our response was not necessarily adapted to those to that public so we we had to uh, to find other ways and uh, and mitigate a bit what we're doing in a normal way to offer the best services to, to people in general 
Sure. But fundamentally, we, fundamentally, you had a situation where you had essentially club shooters who've never maybe gone to a WA event and yeah. aren't familiar aren't familiar with the rules that you and I take for granted. You know, things like, of course, you shoot on a licensed target face. Of course, you have to, you know, account for all of your arrows when you start scoring. And and those are the kinds of things that a, a club shooter suddenly finding themselves in a world event might not be familiar with. Yeah, and and that's why we had, even if we thought that our rules were detailed enough, well, a lot of explanation had to be done after that as well, because it it wasn't obvious for the other sides. Uh, and, and I think that's where we probably have to work a bit more uh, in the future in, in making us understood better by the greater public, I would say, because that's also how people might get uh, interested in, in what we publish, what we broadcast, uh, and become more uh, engaged people in, in, in archery in general. Yeah, so and to be sure, to be sure, you successfully were able to do that with a lot of people. I think that you know you had a, a small number of people perhaps who um, had an experience that could have gone better strictly from the standpoint of. Well, let me give you an example. I mean, you you published rules. And the rules were pretty clear to anybody who's been involved in WA. Um, but uh, for example, they were in English. Uh, you probably had some other languages too, but you know, the interpretation of certain things can be different in different languages when you've translated. And that can be a complication. You have 156 countries participating in something. Somebody is not going to have a clear understanding um, you know, if, if they read a translated set of rules. So there's you know, maybe one example of the kind of thing that you run into with this sort of uh, event. Yeah, yeah that, that's definitely something. Uh, and, and to give you an indication on that is that the, the ticketing system, we help the support line we, we open to, to assist with all requests. We basically had to deal with it in, in four different languages that we can match with the people we had. But, uh, but yeah, the, the language was definitely something uh, challenging. Because, yeah, you as as a French person, I wouldn't read the same way as an English person, even if I was part of the people uh, writing the rules. It's it's you don't you don't use the same words. You don't have the same variety of language, and it makes it even complicated sometimes to to have that clear to people. And, yeah. Whereas where you know when we go to a WA event and you have a team captains meeting. You have team yeah. captains in a room from maybe 60 countries in some events, mm -hmm. and all of them have one thing in common, uh, either French or English as a communication medium. And then it's their job to communicate to their athletes in their individual languages, the information imparted when the rules are, are reviewed in the team captains meeting. One of the things that you don't have with an event like what you have put on um, is that opportunity for a, uh, a person who is an expert to give that specific information to their specific team members. And so that, you know, there's a complication that really I would not have thought of beforehand. Um, but, you know, the role of the team managers meeting in, in WA events is to help exactly that kind of problem and, and provide yeah. for everybody on the field of play to understand everything equally. And, and uh, when they're on their own without a team manager, you know, as, as the participants in the indoor 
um, clearly you have a situation where you're going to have people who don't fully understand, you know, a pretty clear set of rules, but there are some subtleties, things like target face licensing and, and that sort of thing where, you know, opportunities for the future might be, for example, some sort of a virtual meeting uh, or a, a video that would walk through each step and provide for that kind of thing. There's plenty of ways to, to improve on it. But let me ask you something very, very, uh, you know, uh, are you really thinking that uh, long-term, this is the kind of thing that you're gonna continue to do? Do you think that there's a place for virtual events in the future, even past the pandemic? Uh, my straight answer would, to that would be absolutely no. <laughs> um, no, that, I mean, I mean, there's there are a good good amount of things that we can take out of this event uh, that we liked and that we found interesting and that people are happy with. Uh, but I think also that as an international federation, um, we took the role of uh, B two C basically, uh, business to consumer directly, which is not normally the role we we have because normally our clients, uh, so to speak, or our main um, counterparts nationally are the member association and are right. the continental association. We do not have any individual members uh, affiliated to World Artery. They're affiliated to the National Federation and the National Federation is affiliated to World Artery. Uh, so getting into that from having 166 uh, uh, interlocutors to seven, 8,000 uh, makes us understood that our structure is not adapted to manage this kind of situation. Well, nobody's but, is, Tom. Tom, nobody's no. structure is set up for this kind of thing. And no, you know, this was, in my opinion, this was a very generous thing that WA did to, to provide people an opportunity to participate in something. And, you know, um, I believe that it really was a success from that point of view. You know, it had a... Yeah had a huge impact uh, in a time when what else did we have i mean you know we were we were people in the uk were stuck at home they were shooting in their in their gardens uh you had a situation where in every country uh some various amount of lockdown and uh wa stepped up and made it happen i think that that is to be commended yeah no that, that's that we're happy to have done it because as i said it was a lot of things that we understood and learned from that and, and also it gave us ideas to make our indoor world series circuit evolve for next year. So I'm not saying that we're gonna have a full uh, indoor world series open like that and virtual participation next year, because that's, I don't think the way to go for, uh, for sports in any case. Uh, I, I don't like too much that virtual thing because it kind of remove a bit of the, a bit of the sport uh, itself. Uh, but there are some learnings that we can take from that, and we may integrate uh, more generally our member association with that and recognizing, for instance, uh, tournaments for the local organized tournaments as part of the Indoor World Series to aggregate scores in the open ranking or some kind of broader experience and to englobe more athletes. I think that's a way we 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 will need to go forward. But having that virtual uh, event based on individual participation, 
I think for the future is is not a good way forward. Yeah, I, I think that the uh, the opportunity there is to have the member associations have a role, uh, a an intermediary role, and so you know going forward um, that makes a lot of sense. But but good on you guys for you know for stepping up and making that happen um, the way you did. I think that that was uh, you know honestly a bright spot in what has been a difficult season. Um, anyway, on to the next subject, which is uh, you personally participated in the first event of the calendar that got people together uh, in the traditional way and made an event happen. You and Olivier and Arc Club de Nîmes were able to put on the Sud de France Nîmes Archery Tournament, uh, something that we've always looked forward to for many years now, uh, over 20 years now that the, that the Nîmes event in some form has taken place. Uh, I think this would have been the 18th or 19th. Is that right? Uh, as, as, the, as the, whatever it is, the, the event has gone on for two decades now. And yeah, yeah, it started in 1997. Yeah. So it's always been the, the uh, highlight of the calendar. Um, you know, I mean, the only times when Neem didn't happen was when you had world championships. So that's, that's, that's how I was counting that. Uh, you had a couple of world championships in that, in that time frame in Neem. And in those years, you didn't have the the uh, Neem European Championship, so uh, that's the discrepancy there in terms of the the, the time frame. But when you look at uh, when you look at putting on that event uh, in France, which you know is as much as anywhere else locked down from the standpoint of public event participation, a lot of differences this year. For example, normally you have well over a thousand shooters. This time you had 111. Um, that yep. was all that was allowed. No spectators. Neem has always been renowned for having very vocal spectators, a, a great atmosphere for the finals. Uh, you didn't have that available this year, but you still had a good event. And what was it like to be able to get back out there with the shooters? How did the shooters react? How did you feel? Well, it, it was a lot of mixed feelings, uh, I would say, because, well, on my my personal experience with Nîmes, uh, my first event in Nîmes was in 2014, and I haven't missed it since then. And I'm also part of the club, so it's it's something that's it's in our guts, and and we love the event. And arriving in that hall because it was only one of the three halls only that normally we use, uh, that gigantic exposition hall that were that was almost empty when we arrived. It's kind of heartbreaking because you know what it is normally and you know it's going to be different. You know it's, it's going to be small. There's going to be very few people. Uh, there's no atmosphere like, like you could have. Normally, we have also a, an, a trade show that is probably 20 brands uh, and covering half of the, uh, the Parc des Expo. Uh, in that case, we had four, and it was barely taking... Uh, maybe 20 square meters tops. So it, it was very different. And um, and yeah, the, the experience was good, I think, for most of the athletes I talked talk to. Uh, they were happy about participating. Uh, they were happy to be competing in a live event, even if they all think it was very strange uh, in the atmosphere, but also to be back on the shooting line. 
uh, I, I love the quote that we had from Mike Schlosser that, that said after the qualification that he could hear himself thinking on the shooting line and that was not good. And, and that was actually kind of the feeling you had because it was absolutely quiet. We, for the first time in Nîmes, we decided to put the music on while shooting because otherwise it would have been very complicated for, for people to compete in a good atmosphere because it, it was very quiet. Yeah. You know, that's a very interesting thing if you think about it. You know, normally, I, you know, over the years, you know, as you know, since 1992, I participated in, in every Olympic Games up through 2012 mm -hmm. uh, in the role of providing uh, commentary on the field of play. And the athletes always said they didn't, they didn't care what I said or how I said it because they were focused on their shooting. And many athletes, you know, would say, oh, I never even heard you. You know, um, I was always careful not to interfere with what they were doing at the time they were doing it. But, you know, you'd report the scores and you'd talk about that kind of thing. And as a shooter, I would think that that would increase pressure. It turns out that not having that kind of thing going on is what increases pressure, at least for yeah, guys uh, like Mike. Yeah, no, and, and for, for many athletes, I think, and I do deeply think that archery should not be a silent sport uh, because athletes are able to to focus whatever happens uh being making it too silent and I, I don't think it's good for the competition i don't i don't think it's good for the show and i don't think it's good for the sport but that's i think another topic but uh but yeah coming yeah. coming back to Nim, we had to adapt a bit because indeed for the finals it was also very quiet uh because first we had to cut music for the tv broadcast so it was kind of complicated. Uh, we also forbid uh, coaches on the shooting area. So it was only the athletes and the judge, basically. Yeah. So yeah, the, the whole thing was, was very different. Uh, you had, you couldn't uh, talk to your coach uh, during the qualification if you had one. Very few athletes had a coach. Anyways, uh, it's, it was a complicated event to, to put in place. And, and I mean, the organizer and especially Olivier did an amazing job because I, I, I constantly talked with him in the two months prior to the event. And until probably five days before the event, we were still not sure that it would go ahead, uh, especially that we had to adapt the, um, the schedule heavily because of the curfew that was uh, in place in France, where everyone had to be back at the hotel at 6 p.m., uh, it was it was kind of complicated in, in the whole thing. But everyone was happy to be part of it, and everyone was happy that we had it done. Uh, even if it's gonna be a loss for the club, uh, for the organizer, it's gonna be uh, probably not the best memory we'll have of Nîmes. But we're all happy it's, it, it took place and all the ones that participated had a great feedback on it. Uh, even if there were some glitches at some point, I think that it was nothing compared to the, to the will that people had to compete again. And that was great to see. There's a very complicated calendar in the upcoming season. Yeah. Lots of events and lots of borders to go across. Neem maybe gave us a preview of some of the things that may or may not have to be dealt with um, in terms of what's happening with events going forward. You had 12 countries coming to Neem to compete. Mm -hmm. um, 
they had to go through checkpoints. They had to get tests. Uh, these these variables of logistics are, uh, I think, let's be honest, they're, they're a little bit worrisome from the standpoint of uh, being able to get to as many events as people would like to. For people who are Olympians, obviously, Paris this uh, June is going to be the most important event. How much impact do you think that situation will have sitting here right now in February? How much impact do you think it'll have in the World Cup calendar from the standpoint of participation? Uh, I, I think there was there will, there will, there's going to be a, a drop in participation. That's for sure. Uh, I, I can't read, guess how how much. Uh, but yeah, the, the organizers are not expecting either the same amount of, uh, of participants. Uh, I've discussed with Paris last week. Uh, they're also taking measures uh, with the limitation that they will have from the government. So they're not expecting uh, the, the, the affluence that we had in Antalya in 2016 at the last Olympic qualifier. Yeah, which was a very uh, big was, turnout. Yeah, it was almost 600, well, a bit more than 600 participants, if I remember well. Yeah. Um, if, if they have half of it this year, I think it's going to be a huge performance uh, because there's going to be issues entering in countries. There, is, there are going to be issues going uh, across borders. Uh, there are probably going to be difficulties getting tested, having a result in time to fly. Uh, it's, and going from a country to another, there, there's going to be huge challenges. But uh, I think that's also a year where people will need to make choices and, and be wise about that. Uh, I, I listened of the on I listened to the last podcast you made with when you interviewed uh, Stefan Hansen, and I think his philosophy is probably the best one to have this year: is take another tournament one after each other and see how it goes. Because planning is so complicated that even for us. Uh, told you last week or two weeks ago we discussed about Monterey that was going to be postponed um, in the couple the next few weeks we'll need to make a decision with Shanghai who still impose a 14-day quarantine to enter the country so there's a lot of variables that we cannot unfortunately control or have an impact on so it's going to be the same for the athletes same for the participating countries and we're also preparing provisions for, uh, for Olympic qualifiers to make sure that we can ensure that a minimum number of countries are able to participate in order for the event to be held as a qualifier. So there's a lot of things that we need to plan ahead. Uh, a lot of plan B, plan C, plan Z eventually. Sure. Uh, but yeah, it, it's going to be a challenging year and people will have to make choice informally. They, I, I think it's not going to be a season where you can shoot everything because it's not going to be possible. So pick and choose will be the order of the day. One of the things that I'm going to choose to go to will be the Vegas final, which will be taking place in April. We get an update from Bruce and Brittany at the NFAA on the virtual Vegas shoot for the flights and the championship round coming up. Hey, thanks for having us, George. We're happy to get the word out about some more big events coming up. Yes, uh, the biggest one being, in my opinion, strictly from the standpoint of the potential number of competitors, Virtual Vegas. The, the information is there on thevegasshoot.com. Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, yeah. We've got a, a virtual event with flights, the junior divisions, cash prizes, scholarships, 
and you can do it in any 20 yard range in the world, Bruce. Yep, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, obviously um, everybody realizes the history and the world famous name, the Vegas shoot. And we tried to keep something in that tradition and uh, we're pretty excited at what we came up with. I mean, I think we've got the uh, potential to get a lot of people, you know, activated to shooting again. So at least they can have some fun, you know, with what they used to be able to do, which is go to Vegas. So this is the next best thing. I mean, they can do it anywhere in the world. Um, and we're going to still have the same crapshoot atmosphere that the, the Vegas shoot flights and, and the kids get to uh, enjoy. And I think it's going to be a great deal for everybody. In the case of this event, it's uh, actually a month long. Uh, archers will have from March 12th to April 12th to finish three Vegas rounds, of 90 arrows total, 900 points possible. Uh, and you are really letting it be very flexible. You're letting shooters shoot this in any combination of days and times, as long as all the scores are in by the 12th of April, right? Yep, absolutely. I mean, we, we wanted to make this, um, you know, because of the history of the Vegas shoot and how many countries, I mean, we normally have, you know, 60 some countries and of course all 50 states participate. And, um, you know, looking at what World Archery did with their virtual tournament, which turned out to be fantastic. I mean, um, this is just kind of a natural, um, you know, we're able to incorporate the, the, the actual Vegas theme, which is a money shoot, and uh, primarily for archers or for amateurs in this case. So, I, you know, I think it's kind of the best of both worlds. Um, a lot of people around the world that have never had the opportunity to come can now say that they participated in it. And of course, we've got a lot of little bells and whistles that go along with it, like the fact that they're guaranteed a spot for the 2022 Vegas shoot, which, you know, we, we say that kind of in tongue in cheek, but, you know, it, it may be a year away, but uh, that's not very long. So that's one good thing. And of course, the other thing this year, any of those amateurs that want to participate in this, not only can they do that, but they get to shoot if they want to in the in-person championship divisions which has never been allowed until this tournament. So a lot of neat things going on there. Talk about the in-person event a little bit here. Um, now that we have more firm plans in place, uh, registration has already opened up for that. Yep. Yep, we and actually opened up for just the 2019 and 2020 championship participants. So okay. Monday, March 1st is when it'll open to everyone. So what have you seen so far in terms of uh, reaction when that registration opened up? Did you get a good turnout? Well, you know, I think it's it's still new yet. In fact, that's why we're on here talking to you so that we can get that word out. Um, it, it hasn't been um, super fast because I think people are still trying to figure out what's going on. But, you know, that's one of the biggest things we want to stress right now. If you shot in the 19 or 20 Vegas Shoe Championship Divisions, it's open for you right now to register. Um, no new people can do that until March 1st. So you've got a few days yet. You know, the, the championship divisions total between seven and 800 archers. So it isn't by far the biggest part. The virtual is the big one. But um, I, I, a lot of people, you know, the old saying, the pros wait to the last minute. Well, that's what a lot of the championship are. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you right now, pros, if you're out there, um, you probably want to get in there because, you know, it may not be $56,000 for first place, but it's going to be the biggest payout in archery history this year. So um, get your registrations in there right now. I can't stress it enough. Room reservations and things of that nature, Bruce, that's still uh, available from the South Point. Yes. Uh, but those, those will fill up fairly quickly based on the current restrictions in place, right? 
Yeah, we've got, you know, the, the governor there released some new, um, I guess, options that are coming up <clears throat> that they're going to have starting March 1st. So that, you know, that gives us a lot more capacity um, for both the event, the rooms, uh, all that type of thing. And, you know, Brittany can expand on that a little bit, but I know that we have a block of rooms, of course, at the South Point. We have a block of rooms right across the street. Um, so right now, everything's fine. And, of course, the one thing I don't need to tell people, but I will, uh, airline registration or airline tickets um, are not a big problem right now because everything has got that changeable aspect to it. So um, I would just encourage people, you know, to, to if you were in that championship division, get registered now. The money aspect of this event is certainly uh, the you know, the biggest thing that gets attention. But I was just, uh, we were talking to Linda Ochoa Anderson a few minutes ago. And uh, one of the things she mentioned was how important it is to to get ready for, for competition season once again. And there can't be a better opportunity to put the mental pressure on than this event. Now, with that said, it's going to be a little different this year, right? You're not going to have the big arena for this championship. Yeah, correct. As of right now, we've actually, we were offered that, but we've chosen to do it in our exhibit halls, which is the A, B, C, and D halls, right by registration. Everybody knows that um, a few championships have shot in there, but primarily that's been the flight room. Um, what's nice about that is it breaks into two big rooms, which gives us double the capacity we could actually have in the arena as crazy as that sounds. Um, but I think people can understand that now with all the different requirements on how many people can be in an area. Um, that really does a great job, you know, enabling us to shoot without going late in the day and still letting people have time to go down to the strip and go do the activities and go on the big shot or whatever they want to do. You know, they can still have the whole Vegas atmosphere and, you know, get their shooting in for the day. So the, the halls are going to be the best part by far. And in addition yeah. to that, we're also going to be able to have our sponsors and exhibitors set up. Um, you know, it'll be a different layout this year. It'll be probably a little more, um, I guess, archer friendly as far as the archers that are there. And, you know, they can be able to see those booths and the new products. And, you know, we'll be able to have that interaction. So we're hanging on to the whole Vegas atmosphere and it's looking to be very promising. Let's uh, jump the track for a second here and talk about indoor nationals taking place in Yankton. Um, update on that. How's the registration going there? Coming along really good. Um, you know, when we, when we looked at indoor nationals, we were caught between a rock and a hard spot. Uh, again, the, the requirements in Louisville were just not in the books to be able to host it. So, you know, we'd always said having our facility like this, you know, our NFA East and Yankton Archery Center was, was something we could never be held hostage because we had it. So it really proved out this year. Um, and we figured our numbers would be close to the rumble, you know, somewhere between, well, getting close to that thousand mark, you know, in the high hundreds thousand. And we're on track to do that right now. So, um, you know, we have limited motels here, of course. Um, but the good thing is out here, we look at everything and, you know, miles versus minutes, something that's 30 miles away doesn't even take 30 minutes to get to. So we've got plenty of accommodations. We've got good restaurants and the numbers are looking good. So we're excited about nationals. That's good news. Uh, and then finally, the, the big event for the year in Yankton is obviously the World Archery Championship, which is a WA event. And that's actually taking place in six months. Yeah. Um, sure. So obviously, you know, I, I know, 
I know that you've got all these other events that you're thinking of right now, but with only, I mean, I say only because it is only, it's a huge event, uh, six months to go before that event. Um, how are preparations looking for world championships taking place? You know, things are looking good. Uh, you know, we're in that, I guess right now, pre-planning, you know, we've gotten our hotels and lodging all uh, secured and, and we're looking at the different events going on, you know, and a big part of this for the listeners that don't know it, this is um, quite a, a unique world championship. You know, it's, uh, there's only been, I think, one other held in the United States in archery, but this one is very special because it includes the World Congress. Um, you know, and, and what that is, is that's all the country's representatives basically setting all their rules for, you know, a two-year period. And, uh, you know, it's a very prestigious event for the Olympic body world archery. And, and um, we're really excited about hosting that. And one thing to add to it, uh, I just found this out from the from the USOPC the other day, um, you know, normally there's 20, 30 world championships and world congresses by different sports in the US. This year, there's only two. Um, one's in Yankton, South Dakota, and one is in Houston, Texas, right? Brittany, isn't that where it was? And that's table tennis. So very interesting. I mean, we feel uh, very honored to be able to do that. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to go into that without a, too much worry about the pandemic by then. No, I imagine that things will be uh, a different landscape by that point. And of course, we're looking at, uh, you know, the 160 countries potentially participating in that World Archery Congress. And uh, I'm sure that that is going to be an opportunity to show them a bit of Americana, isn't it? Yes, it is. I mean, we're excited to bring them here. I think the, uh, you know, the World Archery staff and, and some of the people that have been here for other events are, you know, really talked up Yankton and South Dakota and the Midwest. And, um, you know, there's nothing going to be more fun than to treat them to a little, I don't know, Buffalo and Roundups and um, Lewis and Clark and everything that we have that's the kind of the Midwestern and Western atmosphere we have. So it'll be exciting. Absolutely. Well, Brittany, before we wrap up, one more time, what is your advice for people who want to shoot indoor nationals, who want to shoot the Vegas finals? What, what would you tell them to do right now? Well, we have a couple. We have the indoor national deadline coming up March 8th. So you got to get registered by March 8th to avoid the late fee. So get signed up for that. And then the virtual, um, we're actually still signing up clubs um, or host locations uh, so encourage your local range to sign up for that. And then you just basically you register and March 8th, we'll start sending out scorecards. And what's the best place for them to go for registration? Yep. Um, for NFA Indoor Nationals, it would be NFAAUSA.com. And for the Vegas shoot, it'd be the Vegasshoot.com. This past weekend saw the finals of the World Indoor Series from World Archery and the team rounds that took place. At the end of the day, the winners of the compound team rounds were the Arc Systems Squad, edging out Team Easton by a single point, and Linda Ochoa Anderson was one member of that team. We talked to Linda before the event to find out about her tournament prep and get her thoughts on getting ready for competition this season. And we're now joined on the Easton Target Archery podcast by the boss of the big cat, <laughs> Linda Ochoa Anderson. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, uh, Linda, one of the interesting things going on uh, as we speak uh, this upcoming weekend is that you'll be in the compound finals 
for the World Archery Indoor Series as part of Team Easton, um, with, along with Chris Schaff and with Real Wild. Um, are you, are you got to be looking forward to this, even though it's just a virtual event. Yes, yes, I am. Especially because I'm shooting with Rio and Chris, which they are such a good archers. And I'm shooting with them as a team. So um, I'm not only competing and getting those nerves again, but I'm also like pushing myself to shoot good because I don't want to, I don't want to be the one that ruins the match, you know. <laughs> no, it's unlikely. The um, remote stage in December is where you and Chris and Rio had the top score, 1,777 points. Um, second place was 11 points behind you guys and Estonia was third place. Uh, so that's the top three is uh, Team Easton and then Arc Systems team and then Estonia. Um, the people in Estonia were able to shoot at the Neem Archery Tournament. So they were able to get to a live event. Have you, uh, have you been able to shoot in any live events at all in the last few months besides September in Yankton? Well, yes, a couple of weekends ago, we were in Yankton. We shot the Rushmore Rumble. So how was that for you? I talked to Steve about it and he gave us some thoughts, but how did you, uh, how did you like getting back into a live event for the first time in almost five months? Uh, it wasn't good. I mean, yes, I was happy to be there and I was really excited, but uh, my shooting wasn't good. And I mean, I, my shooting was good, but I feel like my mind wasn't in the right place. It was funny how I was just thinking, you know, everything they tell you not to do, like I was thinking, okay, Linda, just don't miss. And, I, nope. and the next end, I will miss, you know? <laughs> then, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I miss low, and then I was like, okay, just don't miss low. Okay, next arrow, I miss high. It's just yeah. all my, I don't feel like my um, mental work was very good, which okay, that's good. Now I know why, what I need to focus on because I've been practicing. I've been practicing a lot. I've been shooting my ball. So everything feels fine except my mind and my, you know, like my head. So that wasn't very good, but I know what but, to work on. And But every shooter I've spoken to, uh, I saw, I talked to Stefan Hansen and a, a number of other shooters and every one of them had a similar experience where they're like, all right, um, I'm used to this, aren't I? But you're not because it's been so long since you've been in that situation. And, you know, I think the mental game is something that you, of all people, really knows very well. So it's kind of funny and something we can all relate to on a certain level that even you had a struggle in your first live event. Did that uh, you think you got that past you now and you're ready for, for more live events going forward? I hope so. And I think it's fun. Um, I mean, it's funny how that goes away that easy, at least for me. And it helps me having a lot of tournaments close together because that way I can just keep working on my uh, mental part um, more and more every time. So I feel like I feel like I'm more ready. I don't know if I'm there yet, but I am definitely closer to what I want to be. So, yeah, there are some shooters who are what you'd call a momentum shooter. I'm a little bit like this myself. I, I like to be in a regular pattern of competitions. And, and that way, like you alluded to a moment ago, it, it makes you feel like, okay, I'm, I'm in my competition mode. I'm used to this. The butterflies are still there, but not nearly what they would be if I had been at the first event for a long time. And so um, that, it's kind of nice to hear that. <laughs> you know, I, I have a feeling a lot of people can relate to this. 
Yes, yes. And also, and I like to say this because I believe there's a lot of people that think uh, that we don't get nervous. I feel like, yes, maybe some archers don't get nervous, but like speaking about myself, I do get nervous. And what helps me is just, I just need to learn how to shoot good while I'm nervous. And how do I get nervous? Well, in tournaments. So if I have a lot of tournaments, that just helps me see, okay, that work in this tournament, I'm just going to keep doing it, or I need to be stronger, or I need to be, you know, like focusing on one thing. And it's hard to practice that in, in practice in my house where I have like no competition, no pressure. Um, sometimes even like I have to beg Steve to practice with me and shoot some matches so I get some nervous in because I, I mean, you know him. <laughs> he doesn't oh, yeah. that much, but yeah. So it, it helps me a lot just to be on that momentum having a lot of tournaments. No, and, and your point is very well made. And that is that any opportunities people have to add pressure, even if it's just a, a friendly bet, you know, with a friend that you're shooting with, or in your case with Steve, you know, maybe uh, high score doesn't have to do the housework or something like that, you know, just <laughs> put something, put something valuable on it so that you have, you know, valuable can be a, a donut and coffee. I mean, you know, it all depends on your individual, you know, things that matter to you. But at the end of the day, if you can create a little bit of that competition pressure, I think that that is really helpful and something that a lot of folks who are going to find themselves in their first live event in the next few weeks for the first time in a long time, uh, it can be really helpful. If people have been lucky enough to be able to shoot club shoots or uh, leagues, that kind of thing, because that's still going on in some, some locations, uh, that is exactly the kind of thing they should be doing so that when they step to the line in Vegas in April, for example, they'll be in a better mental state. Um, so I'm going to presume, Linda, that you yourself are going to be looking for more opportunities for some live shooting before the Vegas finals, which are going to take place in April, right? Yes, for sure. I feel like I'm, I, uh, I'm going to try to shoot everything I can before Vegas. And also, I, you know, it's really nice that I can practice here in my house, but then it gets just too, how can I too easy, maybe? I don't want to no, say. No, sure. The pressure is not the same and the, the yes. environment's not the same. And there's a lot of good um, girls archers here in Utah. So yeah. we actually, we are planning on shooting together more often, at least once a week. So we can shoot and um, we can shoot a few rounds, score, you know, maybe score like some Vegas rounds and even some head to heads just to start feeling those nervous again. And I'm going to make that happen. I know they want to do it. I'm going to do it. We are actually going to get together to, uh, today to start practicing. So I'm going to try to make it happen more often before Vegas because I definitely don't want to be in the same place I was um, a couple of weekends ago. Yeah, well, it's good because I think that that as a plan is a really solid plan and exactly the kind of thing that other people could try to implement before stepping up to the line. Uh, in Vegas and, you know, even indoor nationals, which will be uh, in between uh, next month uh, in Yankton. Um, certainly now is the time right now at the end of February to start getting back into the world and, you know, practice safely, follow your local guidelines for what you have to do, but, you know, get back into it from the standpoint of, of that level of pressure. And I think that that is going to be much better than just 
stepping out on the line in the South Point in about a month and a half and uh, figuring out that, oh my goodness, I, I wasn't ready for this mentally. I think that uh, that's a great plan. You've seen the WA calendar for the upcoming season. What are your general plans uh, right now in terms of international competition? Uh, yes, so we... I believe April is going to be a pretty busy month for me because we have the first stage of the World Cup circuit, circuit and it's going to be in Guatemala. Yes. So I'm shooting that one. And then after Guatemala, we start shooting the USATs here. So uh, Arizona is the first one. Yes, Arizona Cup. Arizona Cup, yes. So I'm planning on shooting um, the World Cups and USATs. And hopefully everything goes according to the plan. It was very sad that last year that everything got canceled and then there was a tournament left and you were like, yes, please. And then it got canceled again. So I don't want to get my hopes up, but I will definitely be practicing for, um, for that. For sure. I think that, uh, I mean, there's a, you know, there's a good chance that, uh, you know, having spoken to Tom Dillon on the podcast a couple of weekends ago, um, if any of the World Cups are going to be questionable right now, it might be Shanghai because of the travel requirements to get into China. That may change in a positive way, let's hope. But let's presume that perhaps Shanghai gets uh, canceled or changed because there is a potential that the location might get changed. Um, you know, you still have Paris to look forward to as well. Yes, we have Paris too. I think we get re-ranked before Paris. So I really want to focus on USATs too. We have Arizona Cup and Gator Cup before Paris, I believe, or maybe yes. SoCal too. I, yes. So I need to be, um, I just, I need to be focusing on those two because I definitely want to go to Paris as well. So we'll see. And we, all ch we also have um, team trials for world championships. Exactly. And the world championships this year are in the United States. They'll be in Yankton, in fact, at the uh, at the Eastern Archery Center in Yankton. And I think that that is going to be the big item on the calendar for all compound shooters around the world to get ready for that event. Yes, um, especially this year that, you know, it's an Olympic year. So we have all the tournaments before the Olympics. And I feel like we're just we just want to compete so bad. So <laughs> they were, everyone is going to be trying to go to World Championships as well. Yeah. Uh, jumping forward in the, or, you know, back in this current time frame in the calendar, Reading is probably on your list as well, huh? Yes. Reading is in my list. Um, I, I'm excited. I, uh, I won Reading two years ago and then last year it got canceled. So I really wanted to shoot it last year just to, you know, um, I wanted to win it again, or at least um, have a good score like I did last year. So it's going to be interesting to see how we get to that tournament this year. Sure. Let's hope it all comes off exactly so that you can defend your championship because you are still the current Reading champion, Linda. <laughs> yes, I am. It lasted like a long time, but yes. <laughs> well, Linda, I'll let you go so you can go practice, but I want to thank you for joining us on the podcast. Uh, we want to talk to you more often, so hopefully uh, you can... You can join us. Steve does not want to interview you on the podcast, just so you're just so you know. And I, I can understand his feelings about that because, you know, there's a conflict of interest there. But it's great to have you on. Thank you. Thank you for having me.